So our sermon text this morning is Genesis chapter 24. We're going to uh, look at the whole chapter. It's a long one, but I think we can manage it. Before we read that, we'll pray. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, the Holy Scriptures, and we give you thanks that we may gather here this day to study your word. We pray, Father, that you indeed would bless us by the power of your Holy Spirit and that our hearts would be made ready to receive your word for that which it truly is, the very words of God. Father, may we be given ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that are humble and obedient. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 24, starting at verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me back to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall and who shall say drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, 
We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and the place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Therefore, I had finished speaking in my heart. Sorry, before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water on her water jar on her shoulder and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then. If you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, This thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewellery of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he, he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they rose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. 
Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Amen. And may God bless his word to us. Well, that's the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, and it was an exercise just to read through it, and now we're going to try and teach through it. In my mind, there are five major people in this story. There's Abraham, there's the servant of Abraham, there's Rebekah, there's Isaac. That's got us to four. Who might the fifth be? God himself. The providence of God. Think of the prayers. Think of the, 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 um, the sending out that Abraham has done. The prayers answered on the spot, as it were, just answered immediately. Think of the calling of Rebecca. Imagine that. You're um, you're a young girl. We've got a couple of young girls of, you know, according to the scripture, marriageable age here and here and with us this morning. And um, someone arrives. They just arrive. There's no forewarning, no expectation, no uh, No reason to uh, think that your whole world is about to be changed and turned upside down. Someone arrives, an older man. He's obviously carrying a lot of wealth with him. There's 10 camels. He's got other servants with him. He says, "Um, I need a drink. And um, this girl, she goes to work. Not only do you get a drink, but I'll look after your animals also. She goes the extra mile, so to speak. She does more than is asked of her. And then he says, it turns out that I was sent by one of your relatives and uh, I've come here to secure a wife. I'm purchasing a bride. I'm going to take a young girl back to my master's son. Are you interested? You willing? You know, a a young fellow said to me the other day, we we were joking around and he, he told me he was looking for a wife and I said, I hear they're going cheap in the Ukraine at the moment. He said, I'm thinking about it. And she said, yes, (laughs) yes. And uh, when her family said, maybe we should slow things down a little, you know, a week, 10 days or so. And she said, no, we go now. I'm gone. I'm on the way. 
Never seen the guy. You know, no one carried a photo like or an iPhone or an iPad or something and said, look, here he is. He's a good-looking fellow, tall, muscular, all that kind of stuff. There's nothing like that, sight unseen. I'm on the way. I'm going. The providence of God. The calling of God. It has to be the calling of God. To, to, to change your life in that instant, at that moment, in such a way. This, is, this can only be seen to be the walking of faith. The working of faith and the walking of faith. What do I mean the walking? Well, it's a long way from um, basically a region that we would these days locate somewhere in Iraq to Israel. A long walk. Riding on a camel or walking beside the camel at times, as I'm sure they did, just to stretch their legs. Off she goes. The working of God throughout this story is intimate. It's involved in every step of the way. God is working his will in the lives of these people. So having thought about the uh, people involved and, and counting God as one of those persons involved, and God himself is obviously ruling over all of these things. Let's sort of break it down a bit and look at it in a way, person by person. Abraham was old and well advanced in years. He's now old, well advanced in years, and his wife, Sarah, has died. And it appears that it's thought that he, could, he himself could die any day. Why? Well, think about the question that his servant asked. Abraham makes his servant swear that he's going to go and get a wife, not from among the Canaanites, but from his father's house. And his servant asks a question that implies, you might not be here to answer this when I get there. Put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me back to this land, etc., etc. Why did he ask? Well, it's pretty obvious that he's saying, if I go all the way over there and I talk to them and I try to negotiate a bride price, etc., etc., and they say, it's okay, we will marry her to Isaac, but Isaac needs to come here. And then I come back to here, well, you might be dead by that time and I can't get advice from you if you're dead. So what should I do about Isaac at that time? You see, it's, it's a question based on a possibility. What if you're dead? What if I can't get advice from you? And Abraham answers, under no circumstances are you to take my son away from the promised land. For nothing, under no circumstances. So Abraham is old. It's thought possible that he may die anytime soon. And he realises that God has promised that from his line, through his son Isaac, he's going to bless the world and that through his offspring, he's going to give the promised land to his offspring. Well, you need offspring, you know, simple little lessons that you can find in the Holy Scriptures. It's, it's really simple. If you want offspring, 
What do you need to bring together? You know, you need male and you need female. That's how you get offspring. I just make that point because in this day and age, apparently you're not even supposed to say that. You need a man and you need a woman. That's how God works. That is God's appointed means. And God wants a wife for Isaac. Now, remember when, I mean, Abraham, I'm sorry, wants a wife for Isaac. Now, remember if those who were here with us, with me back when we uh, were working our way through Genesis and we came to the original calling of Abram as he was named at that time. And I said, what, what kind of person was Abram at the time that he was called? And the answer is he appeared to be a, a God-conscious pagan. The scripture tells us that their family worshipped the moon and the stars. The scripture tells us that they were not called to the worship of the living God, yet they knew who God was. And somehow or other in their family religion, they, they honoured God to a certain degree. Well, Abraham has looked around at the Canaanites and realised that they're outright idolaters. Remember, something that would never depart Abraham's mind is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The judgment of God falling upon these idolaters, destroying them in, in basically a burst of fire falling from the heavens. You know, if, if you saw that, you know, if you were standing on one of these higher hills back here and you saw God wipe out this town or a part of this town because the people had sinned against him so badly that his rage could no longer be denied, it would never leave you. That would never leave you. You know, some of us have seen disasters happen before our very eyes. We've seen people die. We've seen incidents that resulted in fatalities or whatever it might be. You know, some of us, well, we were awake and watching the news live to air as planes flew into buildings in the USA. The pictures are fresh. Well, that's what Abraham saw from the mountaintop as he looked down at Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw God's judgment on idolatry, God's judgment on sexual impurity. And he looks around at the people around about him and says, uh, no, no, not suitable people for me to find a wife for my son. Not suitable people. Think about that. One of my sons once asked me, he said, Dad, what if I met a girl who was godly and pure and likeable and she was a Roman Catholic? I said, well, I said, well, we'd, we'd need to think about it. What do you mean Roman Catholic? Because if she's praying to the Virgin Mary every day and kneeling before statues, etc., etc., this is not Christianity. It is possible that a person within the Church of Rome could actually be a Christian through faith in Jesus and ignorant and poorly instructed. But a person who is doing things like saying all of their prayers to Mary, like they don't even speak to Jesus, they don't even speak to their Father in heaven, they say all of their prayers to Mary and the saints, and as far as they're concerned, the Christian life is a life of kneeling before statues and lighting candles, I said, I wouldn't approve. I would not accept that girl. I, I, I would say, 
I'm not saying you can't be friends with that girl and I encourage you to be bringing her to a church where the gospel is preached, but I don't want you marrying that girl. Not suitable. Not of the people of God. Not an even match. Abraham realises these things. And though I don't think he's assuming that everybody of his father's household is indeed a saved believer, at least he's assuming that everybody of his father's household would remain a God-conscious pagan. So that when he sends his servant to speak to them of the calling of Yahweh, Abraham's God, they'll at least know what he's talking about. Interesting little thing here. It says, put your hand under my thigh. I can't say too much here, but I'll just say this. The Bible is being very, very polite. Put your hand under my thigh. Um, Cricket commentators sometimes say something like, oh dear, that's hit him in the groin. That's what it's getting at. Put your hand under the seed. Why? Why? Because the promise is that all the blessings come through Abraham's seed. And so Abraham is reminding his servant that God has promised. God has promised that it's through his children that blessing goes out to all the world. And I assume that Abraham knows that his servant has become a faithful believer. It might well be... um, Eliezer of Damascus, Abraham mentions him back in Genesis chapter 15 when he complains to the Lord that he has no children and the one who will inherit my household at this moment is Eliezer of Damascus. It could well be that this man is Eliezer of Damascus. Swear, swear that you understand you're undertaking this mission in the providence of God and all that God has promised to come through my line. Swear that you will do this, that you will get this right. It's clearly implied that if he does not, he will come under punishment. And not necessarily from Abraham, but from God himself. Swear. And so then we have Eliezer. I'll assume it's Eliezer. Abraham's servant. Think of it. A promise made to Abraham becomes a promise made to Eliezer. How is that? How is that? I mean, God has specifically promised that all the world would be blessed through the line of Abraham. That salvation would come through the line of Abraham. And now we find that there is this servant. He's an old man. He's deeply trusted by Abraham. Basically, all of Abraham's wealth is put at his disposal. And this servant has taken hold of the promises. It's called faith, my friends. It's called faith. You see, our salvation has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't earn it. We don't work for it. We aren't good enough. The promises of an eternal kingdom, you find them in Psalm 2, they're given to God's beloved son. You find them in 2 Samuel chapter 7, they're given to a son of David. I can't claim to be descended from David, and I doubt any of you can. But they're ours. We've taken hold of them. How? 
We believe that the word of God is true, that the promises God makes are to be trusted and that in those promises is eternal life in the presence of God. Eliezer is one of Abraham's converts. He's one of Abraham's little flock of believers. That which God has communicated to Abraham, Abraham has communicated to his household. Probably a few thousand people, a little mobile tent village. Remember, always remember, when he had to go to war, he could raise up 300 armed warriors. If every armed warrior had a wife and every armed warrior had a few children, you're getting a fairly significant gathering of people. Abraham has communicated the promises of God. And Abraham's servant has believed the promises of God. And so though by blood he may not be of the line of Abraham, yet by faith he is a son of Abraham. And so because he has that faith, he understands that he now has a part to play in the working of God's providence throughout the world. He has a part to play in the extension of God's blessings to all of humanity. Are you starting to realise we've got something in common with this man? Promises that were promised to someone else are ours through faith. That we ourselves have, as it were, a duty. We are the servants of God who sends out. It's Abraham who sends him out, but who's really sending him out? It's God who's sending him out. What's the church called? What's one of the pictures of the church? The church is often called the bride of Christ. And he is the betrothed. He is the husband of the church. And there's a wedding feast to which all who are in Christ are headed. They're going to have a feast, a wedding feast in the presence of God. The servant is sent out to find a wife for the promised seed. He took 10 camels. He took all sorts of choice gifts from his master. He took some men to help him along the way and obviously for protection. And off he goes. A journey of some hundreds of miles. We're told nothing about the journey except that in obedience he went. And we're told that Abraham in faith told his servant that the Lord, my God, will be with you. His angel will be with you. You will find success because the angel of the Lord goes with you. How could you not think of Matthew chapter 28? Go out into all the world. All authority has been given unto me. Go out into all the world. Making disciples, baptizing them, instructing them in the commandments that I have given you and I will be with you even to the end of the age. And so off he goes. This faithful servant, this man who was trusted. Imagine, I mean, he's not got any small amount of money with him, especially by ancient standards. He's carrying gold, he's carrying silver, he's got 10, 10 camels worth of stuff. I mean, the total weight of this stuff, if it's being carried by 10 camels, could easily come to a metric ton. A metric ton of valuable stuff. Off he goes. And then he prays. He prays. Can I ask you something? How is your faith and how willing are you to trust in the providence of God? I mean this. 
When you come to a decision and um, you have no way of knowing which way God is leading, are you willing to lay it at the feet of God and trust God? So he's come to the town. And as I said, remember, he's, he's not carrying a photo. <laughs> you know, look for these people. When you see one of these people, you'll know you've found my people. He's come to the town. He's got to find the family of Abraham. He comes to the, he comes to the watering place. He comes to the spring of water, the well of water. It's probably down deep. It, it says she went down to the well. You know, there's, in the Middle East, there's plenty of those, uh, plenty of those watering places outside the ancient towns where, where the woman would come out and carry their, uh, their jar or their pitcher on their shoulder and they basically circle down a spiral, down into the earth, get the water and then back up the same spiral staircase up out of the earth. And there he waits and he prays. O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Look, see, behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have sown steadfast love to my master. I've done what I can do, God. You do what you must do. I've come this far and now I hand it over to you. Before he had finished speaking, prayers answered before he even said his amen. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, and here we have the next person in the story. And we're immediately told she's of the right family. And what's more, she's marriageable and she's attractive in appearance. She's of the right family. She went down, filled her jar and came up. And the servant ran and put it to the test. Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly set down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Now, I don't know if you realise this, but she's probably there um, committed herself to getting something like, uh, well, they say it's 100 gallons, 300 litres to 500 litres of water. Camels drink a lot. She's, she's committed herself to many, many trips down that well and back up, pouring the water out for the camels, down that well and back up, pouring the water out for the camels. So let's ask ourselves, what kind of girl are we talking about here? What kind of girl are we talking about? I think we're talking about a girl with, um, I would say, a naturally sunny, happy personality. The kind of person that people are um, like the moment they meet. A girl who's willing to work. Quite happy to work. She's, um, she's not complaining about this. She's willing to do these things. She's willing to be polite. She's willing to, as I've already said, go the extra mile. She's willing to do whatever work her hand finds to do, to quote a passage from Ecclesiastes, and to do it with all her might. She's willing to work. And so she does, as she has said she would do. Verse 21, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. I'm sure he's thinking, wow. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had that feeling when sometimes your prayers get answered even before you've said amen 
and you almost can't believe that it's happening. It's happening right before your very eyes and you just, oh, my, <laughs> oh, wow, here it is, goodness me. And so the servant takes out some gold, a gold nose ring and two bracelets for her arm. And then he asks her, <laughs> you know, it's kind of the anticlimax of the story because I think he's, at this point, he's basically knowing what the answer is going to be. Tell me, whose daughter are you? And could we stay at your house for the night? And she recites off the family connections. <laughs> and I bet you by that moment in his heart, he's thinking, I knew this was the way. It's exactly, it's exactly as I prayed. This is exactly the way that Abraham said things would happen. He said that his angel, the Lord's angel, would go with me. I've come to the right place. I've come to the right family. I've found the right girl. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. I've already spoken of it a little but Just imagine this. She's been called away from all that she knows, from everything that would be her normal life and her future. To go to a land unknown, to marry a man unknown. All she has is the tokens of the future relationship. That's what, that's what the gold's about. There's wealth here. There's blessing here. This, there is reward for labour here. Now, what do we have as Christians in the world? We have the presence of God's Holy Spirit, whom the scripture tells us is a promise, a down payment on eternal life. Having God's Holy Spirit, you know that you have eternal life in Christ. We have baptism, the symbol and the sign of new life in Christ. Baptised in water, baptised into Christ. We have the communion meal, symbols, signs, of the work of our Lord in securing our salvation, his broken body, his shed blood. We have things here and now that tell us that when we depart from this place, we who are in Christ, we go to a better place. We have things here and now that tell us that life in the future, in the presence of Christ himself, will be most blessed, most joyous. Think of the blessings of your Christian life. Think of the love that we know in our families. Think of the joy that we have one with another. Think of the joy of being here, worshipping the Lord God, knowing that he is our God and we are his people. Knowing that though we are sinners, yet he has cleansed us of our sins and separated them from us as far as the east is from the west. We've got all these little foretastes of the future. We're being called to a faraway land. We're being called to the presence of the king. Our God has given us tokens, promises. Rebecca 
called. Negotiations then commence. The servant is now in the household of Abraham's family and we find we're introduced to a, to a character. He's going to, um, he's going to become important later on in the book of Genesis. His name is Laban. Laban is not actually Rebekah's father, but Laban appears to be the head of the household at this time. If you want to have any dealings with this family, apparently you have those dealings through the man Laban. And we get the impression that Laban is particularly interested in profit. He's particularly interested in money. Look at verses 29 and 30 of Genesis 24. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He's got an eye on the prophets. <laughs> He's got an eye on, on not the prophets as in the people of God who preach the word of God, you know, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S. I mean prophets as in P-R-O-F-I-T-S, the income. He's got an eye on the uh, gold. Wow. This guy's got some money. He's got 10 camels. I wonder how much he's got with him. And he's got an interest in my sister. And after all, and you know, ladies, don't be offended, but, you know, I'm trying to put you back in ancient days. And after all, she's only a young girl. You know, we can marry her off and get, some, get, some, get a good sum of money here. Um, I'm not saying they didn't love her, but I'm saying that... Uh, you know, marriages were arranged as a business transaction and uh, basically if it was to the benefit of the family to marry a girl to a certain man, well, meet your new husband. That's the way it worked. And the servant once again recites God's dealings. You know, we're sort of told the same thing all over again with barely any change. He... Um, Barely any change to the narrative. He, he, he greatly stresses the blessings that have come Abraham's way. You know, he realises the weakness of Laban. And he says, OK, well, he has given him, speaking of Abraham, flocks, of, flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. That's a wealthy man in ancient days. That's a wealthy man. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. And his son, he's already a wealthy man and going to be a wealthy man. And uh, my master made me swear that I shall bring a daughter from this house, from this clan, for his son's wife. And so then he recounts the providence of God, his prayer, etc., etc. And uh, at verse 50 we see that Laban and Bethuel, remembering Bethuel is Rebekah's father, answered and said, this thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. Now, as I said, God conscious pagans, God conscious pagans. Later on, when Jacob has to separate himself from the family of Laban, we find that Laban was an idolater. And one of the things he was particularly angry about at the point of separation was that some of his idols had gone missing. He accused Jacob and Jacob said, I didn't take them, not knowing that one of his wives had taken them. Laban was an idolater, but he's a God conscious idolater. And even he recognises the providence of God. 
Even he recognises the working of God and says, I can't stand against this thing. Take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. And so the transaction takes place. The servant brings out jewellery of silver and of gold and garments and gives them to Rebecca. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And then they spent the night together. They ate and they drank there. And then in the morning we have the party. Send me away. And they say, look, slow things down just a little bit. A week, 10 days. Let's, let us spend 10 days with her before she goes. But he says to them, do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. They said, well, let's ask Rebecca. Interesting. But they, they handed the choice over to her. It's not a choice of whether or not she's going to marry Isaac. It's a choice of how soon she goes. And she says, I will go. We're heading now. Let's get going. The future is before me. I've heard the call of God. I'm going. So they sent away Rebecca and their sister and her nurse and Abraham's. Sorry, they sent away Rebecca, their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, O sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Interesting thing here. Rebekah herself has servants. There's a nursemaid. Her name was Deborah. We find out later on in the book of Genesis. And she herself has servants, yet she herself is willing to serve. She's a likable person. I I just stress this. She is a likable person. Those servants have been given to her when she was getting the water outside of the town gates, as it were. She herself was willing to work, just as her servants work. Notice the blessing that's poured out upon her. Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Think of Psalms 127 and Psalm 128. In Psalm 127, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Psalm 128, verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. God's blessing goes with marriage and God's blessing is children. And our modern society does not act this way and it does not think this way and it ought to. And it's one of the, it's one of the great indicators of how godless our modern nation has become. You know, if, if you've um, been a parent and you've had children, now we had four, the comments that we got from so many people as though we were destroying our lives in bringing four children into the world, you know, don't you understand what the problem is? Do you want to stay poor all your life? Church-going lady, you'll be poor all your life with that many children. You'll be poor all your life. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Even the church, to a certain degree, is poisoned with this uh, mentality that to, to have a large family is in, somehow, in, in some way or other going to hold you back from what God has planned for you. It's madness. 
One of the reasons that we struggle to grow churches in Australia these days is we struggle to grow our own children. We don't want children and then when we get them, we don't do a very good job of, very good job of raising them in the faith. The ones we get, we don't hold on to. Rebecca departs with a blessing. So think carefully about this. What's happened here in terms of Isaac and in terms of what Abraham has arranged for his son? Basically, Abraham has ensured that his son remains a separate nation from the peoples around him. He's ensured that uh, there's no, as it were, um, weakening of the mix. Isaac is not through marriage linked to any of the Canaanite idolaters around about him. And in a way, he's not even linked to his own in-laws. I'm not saying he doesn't remember that they're family. There's obviously contact between the clans. But Rebecca has come hundreds of miles. It's not like, it's not like her family can really get involved in the business of Isaac. Perhaps they can trade and send servants one to another, but in terms of the future of the line, in terms of the future of Abraham's offspring, Isaac is unencumbered. He's not tied to the world. He hasn't married into the world. Abraham is setting Isaac up to be, we could say, Abraham II, the father of a great nation. And so we're introduced to Isaac at verse 62. Isaac had returned from Bilahai Roy and was travelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening and he lifted up his eyes and saw and behold, there were camels coming. And so we now know that there are certainly three people in this narrative who are people who have their hearts fixed upon God. There's Abraham sending forth his servant, speaking words of faith and speaking words of promise. God's angel will go with you. God has made these promises to me. My son shall never depart from this land. Don't take him anywhere else. There's the servant praying, as it were, over every step of his trip, praying over every event and every occasion. And now we have Isaac, who's gone out to meditate in the field toward evening. The idea is that he wants time alone to pray. He's gone out to seek the presence of God in privacy. In other words, Isaac shares the faith of Abraham and Abraham's servant. You know, it's important to remember that because Abraham had another son. His name was Ishmael. Ishmael was rejected by God, sent away, formed another nation somewhere else. Ishmael was in a way one of those Canaanite nations that Abraham did not want Isaac to mix with. Ishmael was sent off. Isaac is a man of faith. So by blood, he's a son of Abraham, and by faith, he's a son of Abraham. He's truly a son of Abraham. And it would seem that one of the reasons that he was out praying was that he was still troubled at the death of his mother. And if you think about that, it could well make sense. I mean, born in his mother's old age, obviously the object of his mother's total affections from that time on till his mother died. Why do we say that? Well, it says that Isaac was comforted 
after his mother's death. So Isaac is gone out to pray and behold, there were camels coming and Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. Now we can stop and think for a moment. Interesting phrase. Who sent him out? Abraham. Who's his master? Abraham. Who's his master? Abraham's son, Isaac. In, in the servant's mind, he is the servant of Abraham. He is the servant of Isaac. He is the servant of those who possess the promises of God. In his mind, the authority of Abraham is the authority of Isaac. The authority of Isaac is the authority of Abraham. And that is because they have their authority given to them by God. Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. She took her veil and covered herself. This would appear to be in accordance with custom of the day. She took her veil and covered herself. Modesty. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And uh, Moses here saves us from hearing the story all over again. But I'm sure he told it pretty much exactly the same way all over again. Your father Abraham, he sent me over to your clan's house, to your clan's land. He told me to get you a wife from amongst your clan. And I came to the wells of water and I prayed to God, let the first girl that comes out, the girl that I ask for a drink of water from, let her be the one that I'm to take home to Isaac and let her offer water to the camels, etc., 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 etc. Told Isaac the whole story. And Isaac is seeing that here is this girl and we're told that she's beautiful and fine of form. She's, she's worth looking at. I'm sure he's starting to feel rather impressed with this servant. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Isaac was comforted. Isaac was no longer alone in the world. Is probably the feeling that he had. He's, uh, his father is old and feeble. It's expected that his father may die at any time. His uh, mother has, has died and uh, he felt that he was alone in the world and it turns out, no, God had a plan. God had one for you. God had a wife for you. God had a woman in line for you. God was calling someone to meet you. And Isaac accepts the providence of God. Once again, Isaac accepts the providence of God. My friends, do you pray in the expectation of an answer? Do you commit your way to the Lord in the expectation of an answer? Do you pray believing that your prayers are heard and answered? Do you pray believing that because you are in the household of God, because you are one who possesses the promises of God, do you pray actually believing that God is directing your steps every step of the way. We forget that. And, and we're almost unwilling to believe it's possible. But God hears and answers our prayers. God hears and answers our prayers. And we should expect to see tokens of God's 
blessings upon our lives in our day-to-day life. We should expect answers of pray- answers to our prayers to come our way. Now, I'm not saying pray for stupid stuff. You know, I hope you understand I'm not a prosperity preacher. I hope you understand that I'm not telling you that if you name it and claim it, you'll be given it. That's not what I'm saying. We're told that if we pray in the name of Jesus to God our Father, he will hear our prayers and we will be answered. Now, that idea of praying in the name of Jesus, it doesn't mean that you just attach Jesus' name to every question. You know, Lord, I would like a new car. No, that one didn't get heard. Father in heaven, I would like a new car in Jesus' name. That one will get heard. That's not what we're being told. That's not what God is saying. Go back into medieval times when a king was a king and a queen was a queen. When the king sends someone out into his nation to accomplish a task that he has given him, that person goes out and what does he proclaim? In the name of the king. And then he reads the instruction, the proclamation, whatever it was, that the, whatever duty it was that the king has given him to perform in the name of the king. Now, if the king says in my name, go and take a tax of one piece of gold for every man in every household. That's the authority that he has. That and no more. The king didn't say in my name. Go and take one piece of gold for every man in every household, plus every household you visit. You can claim a piece of silver for yourself and put that in your pocket. In my name means in my authority, which means according to the expressed will of the king. When we're praying in Jesus' name, we are to be praying according to the expressed will of Jesus the king. That which he has told us will happen in the scriptures. That's the way that we are to pray. And so we pray that the gospel will be preached to all the nations. We pray that the bride will be called. Everybody for whom the Lord Jesus has died and shed his blood, we pray for their conversions. We pray that the Lord will build his church and that against it the gates of hell will not prevail. And that might bring us down to small details. We pray for a place to meet. We pray that people come to hear the gospel. We pray that the gospel has its influence on the people to whom we preach, to whom we share the gospel. But we pray in Jesus' name according to the authority and the mission that Jesus has given us. We pray that the church will be faithful and obedient. We pray that we ourselves will be faithful and obedient. Jesus didn't promise us wealth. New cars, houses, refrigerators, whatever it might be. I'm not saying he doesn't give these things in his providence, but he didn't command us these things in his name. When we're praying in his name, are we expecting answers? Are we expecting God to do his will? Week by week in our congregational prayer, we pray for our nation. Challenge to you, challenge to me. Are we praying in the expectation of an answer? Are we praying in the the expectation that God will do the things for which we ask? 
We pray for the salvation of souls. Are we expecting God to save souls? There's every encouragement for us to be strong in our faith and bold in stepping out in obedience to the will of God. And it's not hard to know the will of God because it's expressed for us so clearly in the Scriptures. Everything we need to know, the Scripture is sufficient. Everything we need to know as Christians is found in the Bible. And in obeying God, thinking now particularly of Rebecca, are we willing to leave things behind? Are we willing to leave things behind on the promise of future blessing? Are we willing to put things in our past on the promise of future blessing? I mean, Rebecca is obviously called to faith. She obviously had some kind of faith in the first place. And then when she heard that God had sent a man out to secure her as a bride for a godly young man, She accepted this for what it was, the calling of God. And she answers the calling of God and goes to wherever God has called her. The narrative in itself, Genesis chapter 24, it's almost a short story within a story. It it almost doesn't need to be within the book of Genesis, although it is. And it's a story of God working in the lives of normal people and working in the lives of normal everyday occurrences. Every day, I guarantee. I guess every day she walks out of that. She walks out of that town, down to the well, and she gets the water for the family. Just doing what she does every day. The servant does what Abraham tells him to do every day. This time he's given him a particular mission, but he's just doing what his master told him to do. Isaac is out in the fields praying, as he prays, probably every day. Every day, a life of faithfulness. Every day, a life of God's dealing with us in our lives. God is actually attending to the small details. God is actually attending to our lives, to our needs, to the things that happen to us, to the people that we meet. God is actually calling us to faith and obedience, always, constantly. So, my friends... The challenge is, are we actually hearing what God is saying? It's really that simple. Are we actually hearing what God is saying and are we willing to believe what God is saying? It's, it's, it's very easy to pray and to say all of our pious prayers, but in the end we're not really expecting an answer and we're not really expecting anything to happen. But that's not the way it works for the people of God and that's not the way it should work for us. Pray and trust in the answers of God and accept them. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we do indeed thank you for the Holy Scriptures and we thank you for your, for your words to us. We thank you that you teach us by your word. We thank you that you've made known your will to us by your word. We thank you that you've given us the gift of prayer and we thank you that we may trust in your providence, that we may trust in you to do all that we need. Father in heaven, please help us to be faithful and obedient, to respond positively to your call. Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.